Hey, one more thing before you go. My guest today is Wynne Kelly Charles. She has cerebral palsy. She's a podcaster. She's an educator. She's a writer, as well as an in-university to become a journalist. Her mission is to help others with physical and mental disabilities to find their voices through written or spoken word using today's assistive technologies as needed. So welcome to the show, Wynn. Well, thank you for having me on, Michael. And don't Google cerebral palsy yet, you guys, because I know when Michael said that, you're like, what? Let me pull out the Googles and Google cerebral palsy. No, cerebral palsy is a lack of oxygen injury at birth, and I acquired this gift. I don't call it a disability, even though it is. I acquired this gift at 33 years ago in 1987 when I was born premature. And ever since then, I've been succeeding with cerebral palsy. And so, yes. That's that you have an interesting journey, actually, from where you have come from and what you've achieved. Because most individuals who have... um, cerebral palsy or any type of disability. They think that we have limitations on what we can do, but you've proven differently. I try. I try to prove differently. I try. And yeah, so I try to prove differently. And I, um, as Michael said, I am going back for a second degree. My original degree is in education, and I will always be teaching about cerebral palsy until the day I die and can't do it anymore. But for 13 years, I was actually in the classroom until Mr. Colbert came along and kicked me out of the classroom, which I wanted to get kicked out. Anyway, I was supposed to leave in May. I ended up leaving in March because of what happened. And so I think the universe or higher power, if you guys believe in that stuff, set me up so that I would do a cultural emergent trip down to Orlando, Florida, all about podcasting a week a week before losing my job. And so I think how the universe set it up was they go, okay, when you can go on this trip. You have the finances to do it. And then we want you to hit the ground running in journalism. And so that's what I've been doing for the past six months. I am a retired educator, so to speak. Um, I don't teach kids anymore. I teach all ages about cerebral palsy. Prior to teaching about cerebral palsy, what did you teach in school? Music. Music? Music. And I taught preschool music for 11 years. That was interesting. And then I taught third grade music that was a little easier because the older the kids get, the more understanding 
they have a view and the whole concept of um, school and the whole concept of music and yeah. So and then I did a little bit of diversity and inclusion stuff um, and admin stuff just to put the icing on the cake. But I really, really, really love what I'm doing now. The old adage is, if you have a job you love, it's not like you're working a day in your life. Even in journalism school, I love it so much that I can um, compose a paper in two seconds flat. I just don't like the editing end of it or the research end of it. No, none of us like the editing part. <laughs> no, none of us like the editing part. Yeah. So, um, I am, I am planning on using using my degree and my second degree, and I am planning on educating people about cerebral palsy day in day out because a lot of people have heard of it, they just don't know what it is. What, what made you, is this what made you or motivated you um, to go get a degree within journalism? Teaching people about sample policy? No. Mm -hmm. What motivated me is September 11th. What happened um, on September 11th, and I was one of the unlucky ones that saw um, the first plane fly in to the World Trade Center. And I saw that. I went to school. I did what I needed to do the day, which was go to school. And then what I was sitting in uh, class and I realized, okay, this is what I want to do um, for my degree. And then in college, and so, mind you, this is uh, a screen win, and so I, um, and then later that year, I was fortunate enough to go see a story drop, um, physically go see a story drop at National Public Radio, and so I was so interested in the equipment so to speak, like a podcasting mic or a set of headphones that I wasn't interested in the story. I was inter more interested in how they got the story done and interviewing people. I'm like, I want to do that when I grow up. And I, that was also a great win. And so by the time I got to high school, I pretty much knew what I wanted to do. Now, un unfortunately, I had to take a gap year in between um, my high school and getting my first degree. Well, unfortunately, God loved my mom, but she got in the way. By saying um, to a friend of mine after me just having a horrible back surgery, and I just um, 
I don't know whether I was still on pain meds or what, but she, a friend of mine came to see me, and of course, the friend of mine was still friends this day, but the friend of mine said, I'm getting a job in education. And I know you are looking at an education degree. And I said, and she goes, do you want me to put a good word in for you to get you a volunteer job? And I said, let me think about it. Well, I'm not kidding. Two minutes later, my mom goes, yes, she'll take the job. Yes, yes, and yes. And I'm like, oh, boy. Okay. Here. Moms. Oh, moms. And mom mom was an immigrant from Canada and also from the Bahamas, which I have spoken to a lot of immigrant kids of immigrants that immigrated here to the United States. States, and they tell me the exact same thing. Their parents want the kids to live the American dream, and that's what my mom wanted for me. And the reason why I bring up the Bahamas is because I, yeah, we'll get to that story in a minute, but before we get to that story, I just want to say, I, as we're sitting here today, I am, uh, I have lost both my parents. I've lost mom in 2010 to meningitis, viral meningitis, and then I lost my dad to organ failure slash being diagnosed with lung cancer in May of 2019. I'm sorry for those losses. Well, thank you, but um, all in all, I'm trying with cerebral palsy to do the best job I can to educate people about cerebral palsy. Well, that's an um, I mean, outstanding opportunity for you too, because number one, you're not just speaking from a physician perspective; you're not speaking from a medical perspective. You're, you're speaking from a personal experience perspective, and then you're backing that up with medical with medical experience and, and what you've been through and what you're kind of, I think, um, you're allowing somebody to understand from your perspective what this disease does and what this, yes. what this hap, you know, why and, and how and, you know, how to overcome. Yeah. Or to manage it daily. Yeah, manage, manage. manage it daily. It, That's the key word. It will not go away. I can't. I wish. I wish. Because I wish I had a magic wand to make CP go in. But no. It won't um, go away. It will just be CP. And I just now have to deal with it. Unfortunately, as you and I spoke over the weekend... Because I called Michael, and I told him a little bit of my story. Unfortunately, my story even gets better. 
on, let's say, on June 23rd, I, I lost my mom in 2010. I, um, I started to get emotionally abused in 2010. I was lucky enough to stay away from my abusers in two, from 2010 up until 2019. So up until... If, if, I, if I don't mind, let me clarify something. The, the emotional abuse, abuse did not come from your, your mother or your relatives. This is, this is from caretakers, correct? It, um, no. It it came from relatives. The emotional abuse came from relatives. It did not come from my stepmom. It did not come from my aides. My aides, no better. Um, But it came from relatives back in 2010. So fast forward... On June 23rd, 2019, and now you got to remember, this was one month after my dad died, one day after my 32nd birthday. So, my aunts, my aunts come out here and disguise a birthday dinner as a welfare check. And my aunt puts me in the shower against my will. And she literally accuses my aide of not giving me a shower that day, not um, taking care of me. She literally accuses my stepmom of something along the lines of you're paying the aides too much to take care of when and she goes on and on Phil to help uh, but okay. can I interrupt uh, can I interject for a second so to help our listeners understand your day what an aide what is the job of an aide for an individual that's got CP the job of an aide is to help the individual with CP with their daily needs, depending on how severe the cerebral palsy is. I know people with mild cerebral palsy to moderate cerebral palsy to severe cerebral palsy. And to go along with that, depending on how much medical attention they need. That's the job of a and so and they take care of personal hygiene if necessary. They take care of food exactly. if necessary. Exactly. Things like that. So when I um when I get up in the morning, my aide is on duty. Well I need twenty four care. So it's my stepmom who does overnight care with me. And then it's my aid from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. So um, so that's how I work it. Now, a lot of other people work it in totally different ways. But 
um, uh, AIDS job is to take care of, help me with my daily needs, and also help keep my house organized because I can't physically do it. I haven't been able to do it for years. And so that's a job of aid. But the thing that I want to emphasize here is that uh, aid, unless they're being really, really stupid, uh, and I say that my way, and I say that bluntly, uh, aid should know not to touch a person, not to put a person in the shower against the will. And emotional and physical abuse can happen by anyone to the disabled. It doesn't have to be a caregiver, per se, who's on, who's on with that. Like on the job. Adult or that child day in, day out. It could be a person walking into your house. In my case, it was, it started out as a person walking into my house, sort of who had only been with me after nine years of not seeing me, had only been with me since the 21st, well, the 21st of June. And by the time it got to the 23rd, um, all heck had broke broke loose. So, and then, um, and then the icing on the cake was, I was seeing a counselor at the time, and I am still seeing a counselor at, as of today, I'm still seeing a counselor. So I told the counselor, the counselor asked me, do you feel safe at home? Because she knew I was at risk adult. She knew I had CP. She knew I had all this background. So the counselor asked me, do you feel safe at home? I said, yes, but here's what's going on. I don't know to this day what possessed me to say yes, but here's what's going on. Normally, I say yes, and yes is the final thing. But for some weird reason, because in education, teaching young kids, you were always, I was always told, and this is true, this is still true for any educator out there listening, that the younger the kids are, you're supposed to be the first reporter to um, to child protective services. Well, I did not realize until a week later that because of me saying yes, but this is what went on, that my counselor was going to call a friend at Adult Protective Services 
and say, I want to report a case. And I think, it, and just to clarify to, for the people out here listening, I'm a retired police sergeant. You and I both have talked about that. In some states, not in all states, but in most states, if you, even in the counselor position, you're in a position of trust and you have that client-patient you know, relationship, that, that individual still has a responsibility to report something in it that's happening that is detrimental to somebody else's health. So, you know, for anybody listening out there, if you are in this position, okay, you, you need to understand that talking to somebody like that, it is their responsibility to take it that step further. Yes. And it just, um, just like it would be my responsibility if a kid came up to me and showed me a bruise on his arm and then came back with more bruises, not from a fall off a <laughs> swing set, but we're talking about I um, physical abuse here. And so it's just like it's their responsibility. It's also my responsibility to keep kids safe as well. And so, um, but the next thing I know, I walk out of counseling that um, week, and I'll never forget it. I was supposed to walk out of counseling, go home, come here, and do two podcast interviews. And I'll never forget it because I go, and I'm kind of my aide was out in the waiting room, and I go, I walk out to a waiting room, and I go, well, where's my aide? And a complete stranger walks up to me and says, your aide is in adult protective services speaking on your behalf. And I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Because my aide was 15 feet away from me. She was in the next room um, as this was going on. And I have learned over the past year of doing this that um, the abuser won't let the abusee go to get help. So the abuser, in my case, wouldn't let me go to the bathroom to send a text message because I knew I was being abused. I knew I was being abused. By the end of me getting out of the shower, I knew I was being abused. And so um, the abuser won't let the abuser go to call for help. So even if I called for help, the abuser wouldn't have let that happen. And that is so unfortunate because I, w I knew I was being abused. And, uh, yeah. And so my aide, and I'm still friends with all my witnesses, including my aide, and my aide 
put the baby stick up. She went in first to um, go in on my behalf. I got dragged in second, and I um, I got dragged in second to Adult Protective Services. They wanted to know my story, and then they sent me up with a um to get interviewed by what they call a professional interview. Yeah, that was fun <laughs> with the uh, um with the cops and the district attorney listening on the other side. Yeah, that was fun, and so I um and so and the funny thing was. And so I went in second. We did the professional interview. I did the professional interview. My my aide and I did it in one fell swoop back to back. And then um, my stepsister got called in. My stepmother also got called in. And the funny thing was was when the case was completed. Um, my the officer that did it and it and adult protective services both called my abuser and her witness and my abuser goes I did nothing wrong next <laughs> and I'm like oh boy you did you did nothing wrong whereas her witness was just a little bit more remorseful of saying, oh, yeah, we did do something wrong. We want to make it right, but um, that never happened because they are still in the Bahamas. They are still in the Bahamas where my mother grew up. My, My abuser happens to be my mom's sister, by the way. Which, yeah. That's what you said. Yeah, it's, I I found in my career, in dealing with people, they never think that they did anything wrong. They always kind of close their eyes to the fact that they did something wrong. Then, and I don't know if it's a, it's a psychological protective aspect, or they just don't want to admit that because if they admit that they did something wrong, then they're going to have to admit that they're not a very good person and that they that they didn't treat somebody else with humanity and compassion. Then they would have to admit that and acknowledge that, you know, and and I don't think that they I don't think that most people who are in that position want to do that. They they usually have a personal um objective. Yeah. And so uh yeah. But, um, so... Did they press charges? Have I pressed charges? No. The only reason why I didn't press charges is because it, um, it would have been in a, outside the U.S. It would have... They live in the Bahamas. I live in the U.S. And so the... Only reason why I didn't press charges is because I didn't want to go 
through that monkey dance of pressing charges and of... Well, they would have to extradite yeah, and they would bring somebody back. And... Them, and it's... I didn't want to go through that. So, um, but... Yeah, I, I think it would be helpful to clarify something, that to anybody out there that's listening... It it is a it was a choice of yours. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't was, uh, stipulated. It was so your choice. My choice, not to press charges, and but if they ever, ever come back, and try and do it again, or anyone comes back and tries, and does it again, I will press charges and I they got another thing coming now that I have people know my story my story is public and a lot of people think oh it's the AIDS that emotionally and sex, sexually abuse and physically abuse these at-risk adults, and no, no, it could be anyone, anywhere, you just have to keep your eye on the prize there, I mean, yeah, it's, it's almost like, okay, what, what are we doing, what, why did you think, you think that, Three witnesses were gonna let you get away with it. Slash, a journalism student was going to let you get away with it. No, but for some weird reason, my abuser thought um, that three witnesses were let were going to turn the other eye and. Let her do what she wanted to do, and um, well, I'm gonna get a little. I'm gonna get a little. Go outside the box a little bit here. But did you ever find a motive? What was her motivation for doing this? What was her motive for coming in, stepping in? Was she uh, trying to take over your? I I know what her motive is. I know that I do know. Um, because my stepmom. And my dad weren't married. She didn't trust my stepmom. And she didn't trust my aides. So that was her motive. Her motive was to kick my aides, my stepmom, and my stepsister out of my, out of my life. Was it monetary? It, that I will not go into publicly, but it was, it was monetary, it was, it was a little bit of monetary, it was a, um, more of, I don't trust these people, I barely trusted your dad, let alone, your dad is now dead, so you are living with complete strangers to us. Yes, that was her motive. Well, and I'm sure that she probably thought she could get away with what she was doing because she was a relative, a close relative. 
your aunt. Yeah. Yeah. So she probably thought she was. And, and for the record, it, uh, I'm not a doctor, but I am a retired law enforcement officer, as I stated earlier, that a relative does not have that authority to do that. A relative does not have the option to do that. Yeah, a relative. And just because their relative doesn't give them the relative, Just because their relative doesn't um, mean they don't have any right to do that. So, um, so no, they don't. And so it was a lack of you're now living as a quote-unquote orphan, and we don't want that. We want complete control of you. You're a dummy, you, which I'm not. Um, you are a dummy. We see you as disabled, and we want complete control of you. Right, which is really unfortunate, actually, because of the... I mean, obviously, family likes to take care of family, so I'm not dissing that. So I went no. on the record for that. Um, yeah, family, family, like in my family, family comes first, kind of a situation. But that again doesn't give somebody permission to overstep their bounds. So if you're in that position, you need to recognize the fact that it does not give them permission to do that, and that you should take action in some form or another. Exactly. Exactly. And if you're um, in this position, and I will say it publicly, um, know the warning signs. I knew the warning signs on June 21st. I know there's a couple red flags with this, my particular abuser, that I, I knew that was good. And so um, there was a couple of warning signs, and it didn't um, it didn't work out so well. And but the kicker was when she, when my abuser closed my bedroom door, which normally stays open, and for safety reasons. And if people want to come in and talk. And so basically when she closed my bedroom door, I knew that it wasn't going to be pretty. And um, that's why, and I, I gave her an answer. And if I was in my mind, I would have given her another answer. I gave her another I gave a, a answer that shocked her half to death, and I knew the answer because she thought I was a dummy and didn't realize what was going on. That's that's unfortunate in that aspect, but kudos for taking action and moving forward. Well, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, people are like, you've been to what? Yes, I have, and yes, I know um, now what to do. I know that it's when you get stuck in that situation, you um, either dial people that know you extremely well and you tell them to call 911 
Now, I I have a question for you publicly. If I was going to call, let's say, a cop who knows me extremely well, are they allowed to call 911 out here even if they are in a different state? Anybody can call 911 if they have a legitimate reason for calling 911. The problem being is if they call 911 in their jurisdiction, in their area. So like I'm in Arizona. If you called me and I would call 911, it would go to Arizona's 911 and they have no ability to transfer that to Colorado. They have no ability to transfer that to Colorado. To to a different state. But so what I would recommend is if you would call me and I would, and say, this is what's going on. And then I would then pick up the phone and call like the, um, the police department where you live. And then I would say, you know, Hey, this is what's going on. They called me. They were afraid to call you. Can you please go have an officer check it out? They, uh, because the reason why I asked that question is because the abuser won't let the abusee go get help. And so they, um, most abusers don't want the cops coming. Don't. Of course want not. Yeah. The, um, that exposes their, that exposes their crime. Everything. So um, I was just curious because what I've told people, and I'll say it publicly here. What I told people is you, um, if you ever get stuck in that stupid situation like I did, um, you should come up with a cold word so that Absolutely. the abuser doesn't know what is going on. And, and you need to text that to a group of friends who know you really well. And exactly. I, I have my own cold word, and I'll um, be letting one of my friends know, or my stepmom know what that cold word is. I haven't told her yet, but I have my um, I have my cold word, and I um, it's going to be that. So if you're in that situation, um, if you're in that situation, you can either do a cold word or call a friend that happens to be a retired cop if, <laughs> if you're in that situation. But exactly, a cold word would be the easiest. And that's why I asked you, Michael, is it easier for um, if I if I called you or anyone else who knows me well enough to say, look, this is what's going on. You would um, you would not necessarily call 911, depending on what state. Depending on where you live, that's, what state you live, um, correct. That's why I'm saying a cold word is the easiest and I have people here that 
um, could call 911 on my behalf. I mean, I uh, have people here that could call 911 on my behalf. But basically, what I'm trying to say is that when you're stuck in a position of, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to get out of these people's grips, basically. Um, yeah, cold, cold word and just do it. Um, just well, and, and, and regarding the code word, I, I would say this. You should discuss with the individuals that you're giving the code word to what's, what this, what that code word means. For okay. example, okay, you can have a code word that says I'm in trouble. Okay. And so if it, you can also have a cohort say that says, um, I need you to call the cops. Okay. It, each specific code word would mean certain things. So that if somebody says I'm in trouble, then you can have it set up where they call you. And if they call you on the telephone, you can talk in such a manner that you sound like you're, you're doing just fine, but you're not. You're saying, oh, well, look, um, let's say you never, ever, ever eat pizza with anchovies on them, and they call you up and you say, "I really need you to, hey, you know, I got a, I got a hankering for a pizza with uh, anchovies." That's and they know that's actually a good idea that you need to call the cops. That's, that I'm not in a good situation. That, that there's somebody, there's somebody I here was, with me. I was, I, I was going to say call the one. But that to make it a full-fledged sentence, and at the end, um, at the end, they're going to call the cops because exactly um, you want to make it, um, and it's it's sad actually because I kept yeah. mentioning a sink that I um, backed up towards. <laughs> And when the officers came to, they came to this house to interview my stepmom. Oh boy, that was fun. Um, they brought all their equipment to this house. And I remember the officer and my my stepmom goes, well, I'll, I'll show you wind's room. And I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Because that sink is in um, the room, in is my is in my bedroom, and I'm like, oh boy, oh boy, and you, the cops actually took a picture of it, and as evidence, and it's like, oh boy, you just you now, and I remember the cops saying so distinctly that, oh boy, this is a sink she's now referring to. And I'm like, yep, that's the sink. And so it's like, you'll never know what these cops will use as evidence. But luckily, I was smart enough to know what was going on, how to report it. And so that's a good you bring up a good point as to make it seem like don't give people cold words, but make it seem like you are perfectly fine. So that way 
the abuser doesn't um, get suspicious. Well, give give them a code word to call you. Yeah, give them a code word to call you, but... Uh, but, but like I said, but you need to make sure it's predefined. So if you hate, absolutely despise a yeah. pizza with anchovies, okay, then then you can say, yeah, hey, hey, when I really, really am hungry, that you know, you ask me how my day is going, it's going pretty good, but I'm hungry. Could you possibly, where's that place that you ordered that pizza with anchovies? Can you yeah. can you tell me what that is so I can call them because I really want that. Yeah. And then they know. And then, they oh, you have to um, make it cold and define. And so, and if I, if, if I ever get in that position again, dumb, dumb position that I was in, I will um, use the tip and use my own tips on doing a cold one and make it defined to the person on the other end so that um, they know that I'm not okay and they know to do the following actions. That's a positive thing to do. And just for the record, that wasn't a dumb, dumb position you put yourself in. That position was put into you by somebody else. Yeah, that that I'm always, I I look back on it thinking, why, why was, why was Life. I, why was I picked to get, uh, I, um, I'm thinking that the icing on the cake, literally and figuratively, the icing on the birthday cake, literally and figuratively was, hello, last birthday present to you, you go through emotional abuse. I'm like, why would a person hand me that as their final birthday gift? Because you guys got to remember, it happened on June 23rd, the day after my 22nd. My Which is unfortunate. Very unfortunate. 32nd birthday. And it's like, why? Why did, why? Uh, but it could happen any, any single day of the week it could happen at any time. I was lucky enough in my case that um it I had three witnesses that were small enough to do something. I was lucky enough that in my educational background I was um I knew to report what happened to me in um, a safe setting to another reporter, and that was coming from my training. I also knew that um, if I didn't report it, I was going to get myself stuck even more because um, of I couldn't get away from my ab- from my abusers. So basically what I'm trying to tell you guys is, number one, if you can, do the cold one thing. Number two, report it. Number three, um, go through all the aftermath of reporting it. And then number four, get away. Get away. I 
get away from the, those people who are abusing you because um, it's not good. And for those teachers out there listening, in this case, and I'll um, explain why I'm saying this in demand. For those teachers out there listening, we tell kids not to tattle on other people. But in this case, you're going to have to tattle on whoever did it to you. Because I I learned the hard way. <laughs> I said to one of my witnesses who um, helped me out after, after, as we were all going through this, um, big mall of after it was reported, I said, I don't want to tattle on my abusers. She goes, when? You have to. You have to in order to get justice. You have to. So in this case, if you ever, 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 ever see a kid who has red flags of physical abuse or emotional abuse or sexual abuse or any abuse, just report it and be supportive of that individual. Be supportive of that individual of what they are going to do because they will be traumatized for the rest of their life. I mean, my abuse is now deep, deep, deep in my soul. And the reason why I speak on it is because I don't want people to be stuck in the same position I was. Well, absolutely. I mean, that's 100%. You, if, you, if you witness it, you are in it. And you just need to take action. That's the only way that you can um, manage it and, and take care of the situation. And don't be afraid afterwards to seek help, to counseling or therapy or anything else. There's no stigma involved with that. It, it's something that um, discussing it after the incident with somebody is uh, a natural approach to helping you to heal. Yes. And I, uh, I just feel like if you need to discuss it with me, because I am an advocate for it, you can. If you need to discuss it with someone else who is close to you, do it. But let's break the stigma of letting all abusers go towards the wayside. I mean, I now I thought about this since we had that private conversation, Michael. I'm like, yeah, let's let's end the stigma of emotional and physical abuse and sexual abuse. And so you guys as cops don't have to come into these heartbreaking situations 
I mean, the officer um, who works with me has is wonderful. My my case, um, the person who led my case, he and I became friends because of it, and I um, now a lot of people don't know that adult protective services is out there. And I remember asking at the beginning of my case, I said, I know about child protective services. We all know about child protective services, but I didn't know uh, about adult protective services to submit life. And so I think that adult protective services also needs to get a light shined on them because um, they're doing even a harder job than child protective services because the older the older we get the more concepts we have so we might have a child in child protective services and Yet they um and uh, the problem is is when you go through all this big mall, um you don't know who's going to check on you at the other end, and even though they say, "Oh, we're going to check on you after the professional interview." Um, don't necessarily believe them because in my case, I only got checked on once and once by the professional interview place. And so I was, I was saying, I was lucky enough to have the support that I did from my not only my witnesses but my fan base as well i have a podcast as well and they they know what they know what happened too and so i was lucky enough not to need um the place where i got professional interviewed um for sake of counseling but just be aware that um, emotional abuse and physical abuse and sexual abuse happens day in, day out, that they have so many cases that they can't get to you. But here I thought that, oh, this place is going to at least check on me. No, they they checked on me once, and that was it. But um, it was it's been an interesting process dealing with emotional and physical abuse. I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure it is. And are you? Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but are you? Do you have a book, or are you writing a book? I have. 11 books. Okay, let me let me stop this so I can cut that part out. 
Tell me about your books. I, well, the original book is I, Win, I, W-I-N, and then I consider myself a novelist more than I consider myself a memoirist. And so um, basically I have 11 novels out plus a couple memoirs all about my life, all about centered around teaching people about disabilities. And if you go to my website, askwin.webelease.com, you can find more information. I'll just Google my name, Win W-I-N, Charles, and type in books. And then you can um, find out more information about those books. I'll have a link to that website on my uh, show notes as well for everybody that they yeah. can find you. And you tell me a little bit about your podcast, because I know that you've got the podcast that I um, kind of listened to and the one that uh, you and I kind of uh, met in regard to. Uh, in fact, I'm going to be on your show yeah. later this oh. month, I think, or in October, I guess. Um, but tell me a little bit more about your podcast. My um my podcast, well, I actually have three of them, one of them being the amazing voices of teachers, a uh, homage to my own career there. And that is basically what it sounds. I interview teachers, and I'm still, even though that went a little defunct, I'm still looking for teachers to interview. I'm always looking for teachers to interview and then um i have another one the artwork of cp which is basically what it sounds artwork of cerebral palsy i do that one with my girlfriend but the one i'm most known for is ask win and ask w-i-n and that is just um, an interview-based show. I interview people from all walks of life and get them to share their stories with me. And I have been doing that one for over 10 10 years and 13,000 episodes later. Wow, that's amazing. I will have links to that as well because I've listened to a few of your episodes and some of them are very, the ones I've listened to are inspiring and they they also opened my eyes to some other things. So it's a very interesting podcast and um, I'll make sure that I have that uh, link to there within the show notes as well because I think everybody should listen to it. (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, it's so funny because so many new podcasters ask me, well, what's the best sage piece of advice? I'm not like consistency. If you can get a podcast out once a week, you're doing good because now, now, well, my fan base knows what's going on, but now my, if I don't tell my fan base, they get, <laughs> they get concerned about the human on the other side of the mic. And so it's um, all about consistency. It's all about having fun, too. And it's all about not stressing yourself out. 
Well, at the end of my podcast, I always like to ask you, okay, my guest, and you at this point, do you have any words of wisdom for anybody out there that are, for anybody going through the same thing that you're going through? Do I have any words of wisdom? I um, just be patient with Lily and figuratively, just be patient with those with disabilities. And I know, Michael, you have a couple disabilities too. And so the more we can be patient with those with um, disabilities, the better. And yeah, and just be kind during this weird time we're sitting in. And that would be my words of advice. And if you guys want to write a book, you guys know where to find me. I can help with that. And because I've done it. And I also have a network that can help with that as well. And so, yeah, just be kind to those with disabilities. Those are excellent words of wisdom. I really appreciate it. Wayne, thank you for sharing your journey with me and our listeners. I think that you've been able to uh, open some people's eyes to some understanding, some compassion, and uh, the advice of having kindness and spreading that within others as well as patients. So thank you very much. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure to get to know you too. You're welcome. Now, and you are welcome. And I hope that you guys um, do listen to before you go and please, please, please. And Michael did not pay, did not pay me to say this, but please, please, please. If you listen in Apple podcast to those of you that have access to it, please leave a five star review books for ask when or, um, one, one more thing before you go. No, because that's what's helping independent podcasters get, the word out there. I agree 100%. You will find all those links in the show notes. You will also find the links on my website, www.beforeyougopodcast.com. That's www.beforeyougopodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. That's BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go, have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.